Hello and welcome to the Start Somewhere for Marie Claire podcast, hosted by me, Sarah Vaughan, Global Chief Purpose and Sustainability Advisor for Marie Claire. My guest this week, and I'm so excited, is animal rights activist, author and PETA president, Ingrid Newkirk. Hi Ingrid, good morning, how are you? Good morning, Sarah. I am fine and you look lovely. Oh, that's very sweet of you. Um, for those that don't know, I'm currently in quarantine in the UK and, and I'm still in my yoga kit. So, <laughs> so, so, so that's very kind of you. <laughs> and Ingrid, as, as you know, I mean, I always start this podcast uh, by asking, how did you start out in life? You know, where did you grow up? I mean, you know, w- were you always passionate about animals? Oh, well, that's a big question. I'm an international, if you will. I was born in, I was conceived in Denmark, born in Surrey, Kingston-on-Thames, and then I traveled all over Europe as a tot, um, having wine in the forests of France when I was just so small I could barely walk, all those good things. Um, Then when I was seven, my father went to India to advise the Indian government on the pending war, as we thought it was, with China. And so from 7 to 16, I was in India, and that's where I really had my formative years. Then I came back to the UK, um, then went to the US for a little stint, fell in love, came back to the US and eloped to Belgium with my American soon-to-be husband. (laughs) It's just been a bit like that. But I always, always adored animals. I felt they were fellow individuals. You could understand them. They could understand you if you put in a little effort. And when I was born, there was a dog already in my household, an Irish setter called Shawnee. And he and I were my parents' only children. And we slept together in my bed or his basket. We played together. We went in the car to see my grandmother, and both of us got car sick at the exact same time. (laughs) And so we understood each other, and I grew up having an enormous compassion, as did my mother, for animals and trying to stop people from hurting them where we could. Yeah, I I, I, I mean, that resonates a lot. I, I, I... You know, when I was a child, I, I was just surrounded by a menagerie. I've, I've always been passionate about animals and, and they were really kind of like my close friends, if you like. And and and, and uh, for me, for people to treat them badly was inconceivable. I mean, just 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 absolutely shocking. And I, uh, yeah, just have such a great love for them. Um, and, and even in quarantine here, I, I'm being visited by by a very sweet cat who <laughs> comes to check oh. on me every day. <laughs> and, and I've got a, uh, uh, lots of pigeons coming to, uh, in the garden and, and also a squirrel, which is, is, is just so, so I feel very blessed that. You, know, well, Sarah, <laughs> you can't see, but if I look over to my left over there, there's a squirrel sitting on the windowsill saying, where are the nuts that were supposed to be here? And it's because another squirrel took them. So, Obviously, animals were your your great love, like like mine, <laughs> from, from a very early age. But you know, when and how kind of did you find your your purpose? I mean, what what, what happened? 
Well, I'm 72. When I grew up, it was normal. By the way, she, she does not look it. I really want her. She looks amazing. <laughs> if that's true, that's filters. <laughs> Thank goodness for those. Um, when I grew up, you know, we were kind to animals. It was absolutely uh, forbidden. I mean, ghastly to do anything cruel, but... We didn't connect the dots back then, so we ate them. I had my first fur coat when I was 19. I had a, a, a cat hat uh, that I, I cherished. I mean, we did all sorts of things that were harmful to animals without realizing. And I remember my father coming from Newfoundland and giving me a present. It was a mother seal statue with her baby seal, and they were made of seal skin. Oh, and you, you think back, and I thought it was lovely at the time. We just didn't get it. So when I moved to Maryland in the U.S., I became a law enforcement officer. And during that time, yes, I was a deputy sheriff. No, uh, I love yeah. this. <laughs> the gun, the whole thing. So. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> One of my cases was on a farm where the people had abandoned everything and moved away. And I went out to look and I found a little pig who was still alive. They had abandoned. And I took this pig out to the water pump and held her head up and gave her water and then sent her to the veterinarian. And on my way home that night, I was really hungry. And I was thinking, I wonder what I've defrosted, because this was before microwaves. And I thought, oh, yes, I've got those pork chops. And then I thought, hang on a minute. I'm going to prosecute one person for cruelty to a pig. You knew, you know, everybody in their hearts knows a slaughterhouse is an awful place. And the pig must, pigs there must suffer. So that became me as a vegetarian. Oh, and as everyone knows, like, I mean, like pigs are very intelligent. I mean, they're, they're as intelligent, possibly more so than human beings. <laughs> and even being stupid doesn't mean you can be rude or, or mean or cruel to someone. Good Lord, we've known enough stupid individuals in our lives, but we should be respectful and, and kind. Um, and then I, in the course of this, I did come across somebody who had set two steel traps behind a, what we call a convenience store. And um, in one was a squirrel, uh, the squirrel was dead, and then the other was a fox. And we did save the fox. He had to have his leg amputated, but he, he rehabilitated. He was a wonderful, wonderful individual. And I thought, this is really ridiculous because I have never thought where fur came from. And back then, there weren't animal rights activists. No one handed you a pamphlet or said something to you. And here they were in front of me, a squirrel and a fox. And I thought, oh, good Lord, what have I been doing? So that was the end of fur. And it went from there. Incredible. It, it, absolutely incredible. And, and so, I mean, like, you know, where did it go next? I mean, you know, how are you living? I mean, you obviously had this kind of damn, you rode to Damascus experience, bless her, with this little pig. And, and, and kind of, you know, what happened from there? How are, you, how are you living this purpose now? Well, what happened was, and I also went to inspect a laboratory, and what I found there was really deeply, deeply disturbing. I had never thought 
that horrible things happened in laboratories other than, you know, as in a hospital or something like that. I had a very naive idea of a few animals used kindly and they were going to treat disease. And this really opened my eyes to the horror of it. And so I thought I grew up caring about animals, being somebody who loves animals. And yet I didn't know any of these things about farming, about clothing, about experimentation. There must be a lot of people like me. And so maybe I'll start a little group and I'll show them what I've seen and then I must do the homework for them and show what alternatives we have. Because back then you didn't go into the supermarket and find soya milk and oat milk and you know, <laughs> veggie burgers and, and all these things. There wasn't faux fur probably. Uh, maybe for hippies, you know, going to Afghanistan, they had a faux fleece or something. But I thought I've got to do this and make it easy for people to really be kind because those are the values that most of us have. We don't want to be cruel. So I started Peter, and it just hit a nerve. It, it just grew like Topsy. It grew everywhere. It was wonderful that people said, yes, show me. How can I help? And, and, and I mean, Peter is now a, an, an internationally, you know, renowned and spread organization. I mean, you, you, you know, how many countries are you in now? Well, I'd have to count, <laughs> but we're in the Philippines, India, China, Australia, France, Italy, Holland, the UK, of course, uh, US. Um, we're, we're all over the world. In some places, it's not PETA. It's that we help other groups who are on the ground. For example, mm -hmm. in Thailand, spaying and neutering uh, cats, desexing cats who are out on the street or helping with emergencies like Mexico when they had the earthquake or Tal Island when it had the volcanic eruption. But we're around. It's, quite, it's absolutely amazing. And tell us a little bit about the activities that you do at Peter, because obviously there's a big education program. There are all the books you're, you're personally writing. And I've just finished your amazing book, Animal Kind, which, which just moved me so much. Um, so obviously there's the education element and you obviously do certification. So it really is about this premise of, of, of making you know, choices easy for people, isn't it? It is because there's so many people in so many different stages of life and so many different walks of life, different uh, people are moved by different things. So we're very factual. We do undercover investigations. And so we go where most people will never go. We take you behind the scenes and we show you how dogs are being killed in China for leather and which is exported without a leather tag on it, of course, with the same dogs. Um, we, we take you into the alpaca farms in Peru to show where that material for jumpers and so on comes from. And so we do all this, the slaughterhouses, yes, the factory farms, the slaughter trucks, the laboratories mostly. And we've closed a number of laboratories down because of abject cruelty. But it's very hard to get into these places. But we feel we have the, the absolute responsibility to show people what they're paying for because people have the power of the purse. You know, they can buy something that caused suffering or they can buy something that didn't, but they have to know first. So we litigate too, if a company is saying they're humane, 
you know, this word sustainable is so big nowadays. Yeah. What does it really mean? You know, you have to look behind the curtain and see what they're really doing. And we've done that with uh, chickens, with, with eggs. We've done it um, with all sorts of, of things. So we educate, we provide materials, but the most important thing is we try to make it convenient for people so that they can say, oh, I can buy this instead of that. I can make a kind choice instead of what I unwittingly was making, which was a cruel choice. Um, but we demonstrate, uh, we give school presentations. We have a wonderful animatronic elephant who goes into classrooms. Lovely. We have an animatronic dairy cow who has big eyelashes and bats them at the children and tells her story. <laughs> <laughs> and we have virtual reality exhibits. We have one on the National Mall in Washington now, which is wow. all about where people's taxes go, what the government, and it's not just in the U.S., what the government endorses in the laboratories, which cause enormous suffering. So we're all over the place ads, celebrities, you name it. And working with companies, very, very important behind the scenes. Yes, very, very, very important. And I, and I think that, you know, as you say, you know, a lot of people, you know, are very kind. You know, a lot of people have pets at home that they love and cherish. So are absolutely horrified, you know, when you're extremely like brave and courageous investigators go undercover. I, I, I mean, I have to say, I have no idea how, how, how they managed to, to, to do that and face those, those terrible horrors. So um, I, I, you know, I think hats off to them because they're just astonishing people. Talking about kind of laboratories and especially as this kind of current series is about, is about kind of, you know, health, wellness and, and, and beauty. I mean, you know, a lot of people believe that, um, you know, their products are not tested on animals anymore because of the European kind of legislation. But that's not the case, is it? I mean, you know, animal testing, I mean, as far as I, I can see, the number of animals in testing are actually increasing rather than decreasing. We have to be very, very careful. And again, I think a lot of it is labeling and you have to read between the lines. Um, we have, I think we started with maybe three companies that weren't genuinely testing on animals. They used natural ingredients and so on. And they didn't contain animal bits and pieces, which is the other thing to look out for. Right. Placenta and musk and lanolin and all that. You don't want these body parts and these uh, exudates from animals in your cosmetics and in your beauty products. But from three, we're now at over 5,200 companies that genuinely don't test. There is, however, in the European Union, this thing called REACH, which is R-E-A-C-H. It's uh, just to streamline it. It's a dangerous bill that we have to and we are fighting to make sure that it doesn't roll back the, the clock on what the gains that have been made. Because the testing ban in Europe was a wonderful, wonderful thing. The yes. body shop, as you know, Yes. <laughs> uh, was one of the first to champion this with those signs in the window about no animal testing. And that was considered very brave at the time, like, oh, will they lose business? But no, 
People thought, I don't want animal testing. I don't want that in some rabbit's eyes or down a guinea pig's throat. So the body shop took a wonderful neat erotic, a wonderful step oh, and did good things. But we do have to be vigilant because some years ago, we found out that some of the major companies on our no testing list were no testing in Europe, no testing in the U.S., but they were quite sneakily testing in China because to sell goods in China, you have to test. It's still their requirement. Since then, we've worked with Chinese scientists. We've funded them. We've come out with alternative tests that don't use animals. And we have worked with companies. So some of those are genuinely back on the list. But you do have to check. And we have a list online that's really strict. It's not waffly at all. It's no animal ingredients, no animal testing. And if there is a waffly bit, we'll asterisk it so you can see what that waffly bit is and make your own decision. Yeah, because I, I mean, it's something that has concerned me. And, you know, there, there is a lot of that when you really do the investigations, you're like, uh, yeah, these guys actually do test in China or they, or they sell in China. And you're like, well, to, to sell in China, you need to test. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, one doesn't go without the other. And also there's a plethora of brands coming up saying that they're vegan, you know, without any kind of certification or credibility. And, and there again, I, I, I really worry kind of, you know, as vegan is the new kind of one of the new trends, you know, that, that people are actually buying products that claim to be vegan, but actually haven't been thoroughly thoroughly tested you know by by you know by you because I know I know how rigorous your process is I mean it's it's extraordinary maybe you'd like to talk about like how rigorous the process is for those companies and brands that (laughs) that that go through you know that get get the you know Peter Peter badge well we do have the um, leaping bunny logo and you can trust that because if we find that a company has Um, being disingenuous, let's say, and has said, oh, we don't test, and we find they actually do, we have in our hands the most powerful thing, which is a consumer class action lawsuit. And all the people, thousands and thousands of people who bought that product are then going to sue jointly um, to recover. And they don't want that. So we always have a top executive at the company um, who will sign a statement of assurance that there is no animal testing and or no animal ingredients. And we differentiate. For us, obviously, vegan means that you're not exploiting any animals in any way. So that is no testing, no ingredients. Um, On occasion, we find that somebody has fibbed and whether it's deliberate or not, I mean, once in a while, something slips through from an ingredient supplier and someone will figure it out, blow the whistle, and they will backtrack immediately because they have the same interests that all the consumers and we have. But you do have to be careful. It's a great step if you see vegan from something that isn't marked vegan. I mean, you know that you've got a 97% chance, if not greater, of having something that genuinely didn't hurt animals. But we scrutinize. And in fact, there's just a company now that of all things is making raw hide chews for dogs that are marked no hide as an alternative to dog hide from China. But it turns out chemical analysis shows it's actually hide. So that's a total out and out fraud. So we always ask, you know, have a little look. And the same thing has happened, as you know, sometimes with um, fur, 
is that it's been marked faux yes. because the faux sometimes now is almost, if not indistinguishable from actual animal fur. And yet it's come out under analysis that it is taken from an animal, stolen from an animal, an animal's killed for that. So you're better off looking for vegan. You should look behind the product label, look at our website. If you have any questions, ask, but we are on top of it. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to say, I mean, in your book, Animal Kind, you give some really, really helpful tips, you know, about how to find, you know, look for food labeling, you know your beauty labeling as well which which is which is is, is so helpful so I, I would recommend everybody buy Ingrid's book because it, it it's just fantastic and also really does address you know the sentiency of of, of 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 animals which is so important but what's your vision Ingrid what what's you know where where, where, do, where do we need to get to you know as a world <laughs> well who knows what's ahead um, times are a little bit shaky Um, And we're looking at environmental destruction. And of course, I think everyone knows by now that animal-based agriculture is the most destructive of all the destructive things that are affecting our environment. Um, Put put trains and planes and automobiles together, and it's not as destructive as the emissions that are caused by animal farming. So getting away from that is a number one goal because everyone eats. And they eat usually three times a day or more. So you have choices you can make at every meal and with every snack. But in the last, oh, I don't know how many years, uh, it's been, in my experience, fairly recently, people have moved away from uh, taking the skin and the feathers and the fur off animals' backs, killing them for their whatever they wear, their coats. And so you see this tremendous breakthrough with new fibers And you see leather made from apples and grapes and pineapple and even tea leaves. (laughs) So you know what to do with those. Um, It's really marvelous to see all the materials that you can have. And often they are um, even recycled plastics from the ocean, you know, if you're worried about that. So I think for every unkind thing, there's this kind thing. And we've seen the progress with cosmetics, toiletries, household products, And we've seen the big corporations suddenly wake up to the fact that people have woken up to what all this means to animals, the environment and their own health. So it's all very exciting. I agree. And, 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 you know, as as you so rightly said, you know, when we started the podcast, is that, you know, people need to remember their purpose is in, you know, their pocket. So it's by actively making choices that we can actually stop that. So, you know, buy plant-based food, you know, look into your, 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 um, you know, your cosmetics and, and really do your homework and demand transparency. And, 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 you know, large companies are waking up to the fact that, you know, people don't want to harm the environment, don't want to, you know, harm animals in, in, in the making of, 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 of their products. You know, that, that's not a world, you know, we collectively want to, to live in. And Ingrid, you know, I always kind of finish this podcast by asking, you know, how do people start somewhere? You know, we, 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 <laughs> we kind of covered quite a lot, but I'm sure you've got some, some more uh, sort of gold nuggets for us there. Well, it's actually, it's so simple. You know, people are overwhelmed sometimes. They think, oh, I don't want to be an animal rights activist and stand with a picket sign outside parliament 
And you don't have to be, or I don't want to go to jail for breaking into a laboratory and getting a dog out. You don't have to. I mean, when you think about it, if you support a charity, maybe the RSPCA or PETA, you might write a check or, or send in a little donation. That's wonderful. That's just absolutely wonderful. But think, too, that when you go to the shops, when you go to the chemist, when you go to you know, the clothing store, whatever, you are spending in a year thousands upon thousands of pounds. And those thousands, if they're used to hurt animals, then it really is a drop in the bucket that you have done something over here to try to stop that when you're supporting it. None of these things would happen if we realize the power of the purse. As consumers, we are the drivers of the marketplace. And all these big corporations, whether they're butchers or uh, dairies or they're you know, clothing people, whatever they are, cosmetics, they want to sell to us. So if we don't buy what's cruel and we do consciously make an effort to buy things that don't harm animals, we will turn the whole marketplace around to being a compassionate place. So that is our duty when we set off with our shopping basket or that idea of a new coat or whatever it is. Um, we're trying a new shampoo. We must really be conscientious consumers because that is what's going to change everything. And each one of us has that power. Yes. Yes, we do. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Ingrid. And um, if people want to find out more about you, about PETA, and, and obviously, you know, the lists of, of, of approved companies, leaping bunny companies, where do they go? Well, PETA.org is the easiest thing to remember. But we've got PETA UK, of course. We've got all the other countries, too. But PETA.org is easy. There are lists there of clothing, shoes, cosmetics, everything, alternatives to almost anything you could imagine. And uh, I think it'll be eye-opening because it's the use of animals in films, it's the use of animals in classrooms, it's um, things you've never even thought of. And then you think, oh, well, I know someone who does that and I can make a difference if I just let them know. So yes, come to peter.org, please. And my book, is animal kind. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, it really is a must read. I, I, it was just absolutely just, you know, one of the most gorgeous books I, I, I've read and, and I learned so much. And, uh, you know, Ingrid, I just wanted to say like, you know, a, a very heartfelt thank you, you know, for all you do on a daily basis. It's not always easy. And, and, and you know, you see some very distressing things happen to, 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 to beautiful creatures. Um, you know, just really, sorry, I feel a bit teary because, you know, as you know, I love animals so much and, and, you know, really thank you for everything that you do and for inspiring us. And also for, you know, just, you know, if you like making this mainstream, because, you know, when you started, I mean, it was a little bit, probably a little bit, everyone's a bit like, this is a bit weird. <laughs> and, and to have that kind of, fortitude and resilience is, is, is really remarkable. Thank you. Thank you very, very much, Sarah. Thank you.